The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. Hey, this is Tony Lasano with Nude Hippo, the podcast, and this week I have a special guest. Her name is? Amy Records Landucker. <laughs> not Records. <laughs> Records is not your middle name. <laughs> and we'll talk about the season finale of? Transparent on Amazon Prime. And the next edition of Nude Hippo, the podcast. I am not nude, though. We don't know. <laughs> nude Hippo, the podcast. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. No, I like Lasano. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you along. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Lou, it's been a busy time for both of us. Uh, have been having a lot of uh, fun uh, checking out cars at uh, car shows and such, and uh, recent episodes we've been talking about what makes cars uh, popular or or cars that you may have forgotten about and i think one thing that that i find fascinating is i remember uh you know growing up in the 70s um and seeing just and even in the 80s seeing certain cars that they just sold tons of i mean hundreds of thousands if not millions and you just never see them anymore today like uh, one that comes to mind is just like the oldsmobile cutlass supreme remember that car the two-door it was just like the hottest car around for years it was a huge seller and you never ever hardly ever see those cars at a car show on the road where did they all go well, I, I'm so young that I don't remember the 70s as well as you do, Mark, but, but uh, I'll, I'll now share. So on that vein, so when's the last time you've seen, I'll just name cars, a Pinto? Well, I was going to say, a that's Ve- one of the a, cars I've spotted recently. A, a Vega. A Vega outside of a car show. We had a Vega when I was a kid. We had a 72 Camback wagon. But no, Vega's on the road, no. But I did see... That's what I was kind of leading into. So keep going, yeah. Maverick. Uh, Mavericks Maverick. are another car. Yeah, they, that's a actually that is a car. And you were talking about this on the last episode. That is a car that has aged very well. When you see a Maverick and you look at the lines of that car, that's a good looking car. Yeah, it really is. The Mercury version was. Do you remember? Comet. The Comet yeah. is correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, here's one for you. Um, it, this will come directly to your mind as soon as I say it. Granada. The uh, Ford Granada. Yeah. Yeah. That was a worthy, yeah. something worth forgetting. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, so, I mean, you know, you could go on with those saying uh, uh, cars that, that there were just so many of. I mean, you know, 70, uh, 70, 71, 72, the Impalas, the Caprices, mm-hmm. all of those. And well, a lot of those cars, I think, met their fate uh, when the first oil embargo happened in the first fuel crisis, because those had those big honking 400, 455 cubic inch engines. They were getting eight miles a gallon. And I think that's when people started buying the Mavericks and the Vegas and things like that, obviously. But Vegas, you can understand why they weren't around because they were just crappy cars. They rusted out. They overheated. They just any anything in the pintos blew up and <laughs> or, or, things or the, like that or the chevettes oh and then here's one for do you know remember what pontiac's version of the chevette was oh this is a good one <laughs> you're gonna say it and i'm gonna go yes <laughs> the pontiac t1000 t1, i don't know i have no idea what that stands for but it's it sounds so futuristic it's, and it's like the, the, the turd 1000 yeah, exactly the pontiac t1000 yeah. but you it's funny that you mentioned pinto you fell right into my trap Thank you. one of the cars i've seen uh, saw on the road and it blew me away because it was exactly what you said it's like when's the last time you've seen a pinto I saw a 72 Pinto wagon the other day just in traffic, and it looked appeared to be completely stock, not wow. modified, in, in like a nice medium blue metallic, totally clean. And I'm like, wow, now that's a survivor because you just don't see those anywhere. This was a wagon, but even so, it's just like you don't see the, any of the Pintos around. We almost bought a Pinto wagon when I was a kid. It was a 72. And it was going to be this like lemon yellow with the wood siding on it and a tan interior. And for some reason, my parents decided against that. And I can't remember what they bought instead. It it was exactly in white wall tires and and everything. But yeah, I saw that Pinto on the road the other day. I'm like, wow, now that is a car you just don't see. The Pinto wagon would have been a nomad technically (laughs) because it only had two doors. Yeah, there you go. And then they actually made, and this is a special edition. I don't know if it's a special edition, but um, they actually made 
a panel version of the of the Pinto wagon, and it had a one of those round. It was capitalizing on the craze of the conversion vans, and from the factory they made. I can't remember what the exact name of it was, but it was a, a panel version of the Pinto wagon, the mod Pinto, and it had the round, uh, you know, uh, porthole in it. Yeah, yeah, the porthole. Crazy. Crazy times. And those are very rare, too. There's one that went through uh, one of the auctions. I think it was a Mecham auction recently. And somebody bought it. I don't know what they paid for it. I think it was like five or six grand or maybe even more than that. But uh, they're out there. But Which you just, was you more than the Pinto cost. Oh, yeah. Pintos were, were one of the early economy cars. And um, I don't know what we paid. I, I know that when we had our, our Vega wagon, uh, my dad got it used. But it was only like not even six months old, I don't think, at the time, or maybe a year old at the time. And actually, we didn't have too many problems with it. I mean, the front fenders totally rusted out, and we had those replaced. We, we got Chevy to pay for that. The doors rusted out. We got <laughs> Chevy to pay for that. And then we didn't really have any overheating issues with the engine because that was a, one of the first all-aluminum engine, small four-cylinder all-aluminum engines that GM made. But I remember when we sold the car, uh, the guy that bought it, it like overheated or something on on his way home and one of the weirdest uh stories and this is uh this would have been probably i think i'm trying to remember if we bought the if we had sold the vega and i think that's when my dad got the 76 camaro so i think it must have been in the mid 70s when they sold it and this would be fast forward another seven or eight years into the early 80s i was at a, a junkyard locally uh, one of the, uh, you know, you pick your part kind of thing where you go out and pull the parts off the cars. And they had, you know, just stacks and stacks of, of these cars. And there was a, a green Pinto wagon sitting in the stack. That was one. And right. it was our car. Is that right? Because I remember because on the rear hatch, there was a chip in the glass in the rear hatch. And it was one of these chips where it was, you know, it was maybe you know, half an inch long and it was an actual, like kind of a chip. So it kind of looked frosted. So you, you would totally know it's your car. Yeah. And that's the first thing I looked at when I saw it in there in the stack. And I'm like, that's our car because it had Did the, you chip have on the, the desire to get uh, it off. The it was no, no, it was just stacked. It, with, it, had, it was on top of something and something else was on top of that. And I'm sure it had totally been junked for a long time. Since, at we're, that in point. This, since we're in this early seventies genre, what's the worst performing car? that you've ever been in well you know i was a kid uh we didn't have i mean i always thought the vega that we had i mean it's not like we i don't have a lot of memories of riding around in that car that was probably the crappiest car that that my dad <laughs> owned just because of its 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 legacy yeah uh, that, but you said slowest or worst performing. Now that can still qualify. That's a pretty yeah. That's a pretty wide because we had a a seventy four VW bus, but that you know you don't expect that to light the world on fire with its performance. So you can't say that was a worst performing vehicle because it it would bomb along on the highway at fifty five sixty miles an hour, get twenty five miles a gallon, and you can have a lot of fun in that. So right. um, let me add. Let me let me join in. So when I think worst performing, I remember I was in a Chevette, and I think the thing got to 60 miles an hour without exaggeration in about a half, half a an minute. hour. Oh, oh mean, really? Yeah, 30, 30 I mean, seconds, it was, yeah. It was, it was almost like, please step on this thing so we could not get hit by every other car yeah. that's coming yeah. at us. And, and the person said to me, I am stepping yeah. on this thing. <laughs> I can remember that almost vividly, and I thought, I don't want to drive with well, this Well, see, if you had the anymore. T-1000, you'd be doing better. <laughs> well, yeah. A downhill off a cliff. Yeah, you'd be and doing much better. And re then, remember the four-door variations they made of the Chevette, too, with the wood siding? <laughs> Just to get a few more yeah. friends in there. Yeah. Get it all the way up to a minute before you get to 60. <laughs> and, then they, and then the other one was, I remember my dad was teaching me to drive, and I must have been 13. And he bought a Volkswagen Beetle. Don't know the year, but let's just say it was sometime in the 60s. So sure. it was Herbie the Love Bug, yeah. but it wasn't Herbie the Love Bug because it was blue. And I can remember him one day coming home, and he walked from his job. And I said, Dad, where's where's the car? And it was about eight blocks from our house. He went to the stop sign, and when he stepped on the brakes, he actually went all the way to the floor like a Flintstone yeah. mobile. So it just, <laughs> it just <laughs> bottom fell completely out of it. Yeah, that's... 
you know, that's some of the stuff that we endured, I guess, uh, in the 70s. And, uh, I, yeah, I can't really pick a certain car that you would say worst performing or whatever. I would probably just say the Vega just because a car that's two years old shouldn't literally have big flaking rust holes in the, in the, in the fenders. And a part of that, I think that was a two-part reason for that on, on the Vega is I don't believe it had any inner fender liners. And then obviously being in the Midwest, the salt. And then uh, I think I also remember reading that the Vega had one of the early versions of water-based paint that uh, GM was using, and that obviously caused issues. So it was a combination of those factors. But it was, yeah, that was pretty terrible um, from what I remember. But seeing it in the junkyard, that was just just too crazy. But I wanted to ask your opinion, Lou, on uh, the DeLorean. Do you have any uh, special... And I know that everyone always has to have their Back to the Future with the flux capacitor versions. And I get a little... Honestly, I get a little tired of seeing people that bring a DeLorean to a car show that's always gussied up like that. I'd rather give me a stock DeLorean and I'm, but you know, you got that look on your face. What, what is your opinion of the DeLorean? <laughs> well, the DeLorean, even back in the day in the eighties, when you'd see a DeLorean yeah, was super cool. Yeah. Regardless of the, of the back to the future show, cause you were looking at a car that was stainless steel, like a refrigerator mm-hmm. factory gullwing doors. Yeah. And, it just captivated your attention. I mean, it just commanded that you look at it. Yeah. So it still has that factor. People still connect with it. And um, it wasn't a super fast car by No, it had standards. actually a pretty, pretty um, not a very good engine. It had that PRV, Peugeot, Renault, Volvo designed V6 in it. And I just remember the, the, the testers of the day just commenting on that engine. I don't know if it was unreliable or if it just didn't have enough power, but it just it was wasn't considered a, a, yeah. a good engine. And I'm not sure why DeLorean went with that exact power plant. I, I Obviously, packaging had something to do with it, cost, availability, yeah. things like that. But the reason I, I, I bring some of this up is earlier um, this year, there was a, uh, a film released in limited uh, release, and I'm sure you can probably find more information on it online, starring Alec Baldwin as John DeLorean. And it's uh, kind of a, uh, I guess you'd call it kind of a biopic. It's called Framing John DeLorean. And uh, Alec Baldwin actually pulls off uh, the John DeLorean look pretty good. He's wearing a prosthetic chin. He's got the gray wig and uh, the big wide eyebrows that uh, John DeLorean was known for. And uh, he, he plays John DeLorean, and it kind of just traces the... the um, the history of you know John DeLorean, he was considered. Uh, you know, we were talking about Lee Iacocca in a previous episode because he recently passed, and we were saying you know what other automotive executives were similar to him, and John DeLorean was just a guy that was bigger than life. I mean, he's basically the guy that created the GTO, and you could arguably say he was the father of the muscle car, other than you know Lee Iacocca with the Mustang, because you know the GTO, and that just kicked off the whole muscle car pony car thing starting in the 60s and you know he he was known as a you know a kind of a, um, a jet setter and he dated beautiful women and he hung out with movie stars and things like that and, and it's funny in this article it says here that living large lifestyle made john delorean a media darling a business magazine cover boy and a symbol of entrepreneurship and excess steve jobs without the attitude he makes elon musk look as exciting as warren buffett <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Which is pretty hilarious. He was the Hugh Hefner of the car biz. And I think uh, Baldwin actually had a lot of fun, um, you know, making this uh, this uh, film. And it was definitely something I want to check out. I'm not, admittedly, I, I'm not a person that uh, seeks out a lot of movies. I don't really go to movies that often. But it was in limited release. I'm sure it's going to be on DVD or it might even be available online somewhere. But it's called Framing John DeLorean. And it's uh, definitely something I think you should check out because it's already been uh, DeLorean passed away in a, uh, at age 80 in 2005 because I was recently watching a um, episode of American Pickers on the History Channel. And uh, Mike Wolf was uh, looking at a, a property in New Jersey that uh, people bought at an auction. There was two DeLoreans sitting in there. And he was wondering and asking the guy that bought the property, he goes, well, I know that John DeLorean for a while was living not too far from this property. And he said, we were going through some of the papers and the previous owner had a, an obit 
from John DeLorean. And I'm thinking, and I was putting the numbers together in my head, and I actually looked over at my girlfriend. I said, wait, that doesn't seem right, because I thought John DeLorean only died a few years ago, like maybe eight years ago. And the numbers, they didn't didn't add up. But then when the show was over, I looked it up, and sure enough, it's been 2005. So it's been nine, or 14 years already since John DeLorean died. So that's somehow, you know, how time flies when certain people pass away. So they were correct in what they were saying on the show. And actually, uh, Mike Wolf ended up buying one of the DeLoreans. He could, I think he paid fifteen grand for a car, and it only had like thirty. 500 miles on it but it needed it was just sitting in a barn for like 20 years and it needed uh, a lot of work but then i went on hemmings to check out the valuations of of deloreans because i've just never really paid that much attention to them and they go all 30 40 grand and upwards depending on condition well you know back in back in the 80s um that was an expensive car sure i mean it was probably one of the more expensive cars to buy now we're not talking you know high-end ferrari or something like that but for an American car or something like that. I mean, it was... Built in Ireland. Okay, but <laughs> seen here in the U.S. And, and actually sold here in the U.S., I think it was like 25 grand. I was going to say 25 or 30 sounds about which, right, yeah. Which was about the, you know... So triple that today, easy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, there, there were houses that were 25 yeah. grand in the 80s yeah. that, that you could purchase. So maybe, you know, maybe half of that, but or double that. But, um yeah, they were considered an expensive car when they came out. So, I mean, he, he not only had the reputation, but then he was putting out this high-end, very unique product because, I mean, nobody was driving around in stainless steel cars. Mm-hmm. So, And there was also that company, too, um, that was in operation from, I think, about 2007 through at least 2012, a uh, company in Texas that had bought all the tooling and all the uh, remaining new old stock parts and was doing basically recreation uh, uh, DeLoreans. They were um, doing the the starting up the series again. I don't know how many they sold, and I never really heard too much about that. So I don't know. I believe they got it going because one of the cars I saw in Hemmings said it was one of the continuation uh, DeLoreans. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm looking for, the continuation ones. Yeah. Um, so that's something to look into too. If you're because I I you know he was being careful on using all the original stuff, but then I don't know if he made any updates, you know, with more modern technology or things like that. So definitely something to look into. And I was going to ask you too, Lou, have you ever seen um, a DeLorean that's been uh, colorized? Because I have seen a couple and they're not actually painted. It almost looks like, I don't know how you would uh, do this, but it almost looked like a, almost like a version of like a, cl- a colored clear coat that, that people have put on the DeLorean. Cause it doesn't look like paint. Cause you can still see kind of the, the shine of the stainless. I remember seeing one in red, and I'm pretty sure I've seen one other color. Have you ever seen a colorized? Well, I've seen a red one. Yeah, but, but I it, mine looked like it was painted. The really, one I saw. Yeah. Okay, because the one I remember it almost looked like it was candy apple, and almost had that kind of candy okay. apple. Yeah, this was clearness like tint a, to it. This is more like a fire extinguisher. Red. Really? How yeah. did that look? You know, it looked good because yeah. I mean the car has got great looks, and I mean thinking about that car again, you talked about how John DeLorean had some was known as excess i mean uh, uh uh you know the car was non-functional yeah I mean, you weren't it wasn't a place to put luggage no it had that like little that. window that would open and yeah. it just enough to like you know get a hamburger through there yeah, and a drive through and that's it, it it was a it was a cheap lamborghini quintage yeah. and yeah. it was a it was in between a corvette <laughs> a lamborghini quintage you got a delorean yeah yeah, that's a good way to look at it. But yeah. but people bought it because I think the big selling point of that car, like you said, was, you know, the stainless steel body because it was unique. It's not going to rust or anything like that. Although I don't know how you'd repair that because you couldn't, can't use Bondo on well, it. Well, now or you anything. have paintless dent people. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, you could. That's stainless steel, though. It's a, it, the metal's a little different, but it could work. Yeah, who knows? And then, um, you know, the gullwing doors because those are you know, so common more or less these days in so many cars. But back then that was still, uh, you know, before that was like the 300, the Mercedes Gullwing back from the fifties was about the only other Gullwing car I can think of other than the Bricklin. There you go. Yeah. And the, and the DeLorean to me always looked like a Bricklin. Yeah. A very, very similar to the Bricklin, which was Malcolm Bricklin, uh, was uh, building the Bricklin cars in the early seventies. Yeah. And he touted it as a safety vehicle. I remember that was his big selling point. And, um, it was another, you know, guy, a car. I think I'm trying to remember what, what Brickland was a importer, I believe, originally. He never worked for a car company, did he? I thought he was an importer. 
and then he decided to start his own car company. And it's just hard to do. I mean, you know, DeLorean um, sold, I don't know what total production was on DeLoreans, but it was thousands, you know, at some point. I think it was yeah. nine, ten thousand 10,000 for a couple of years. But just interesting um, things to think about in the, in the world. But if you're checking it out, just it's called Framing John DeLorean, starring Alec Baldwin as the late John DeLorean car executive. I know you've been looking forward to this topic, Lou. Selected car flops. Okay, how about that? Um, Tucker is on this list, and I I, I wanted to, to make sure that um, now where is this? I list told from? you, yeah. Well, this before we went on here, I was telling you that I find these lists online, and they come from you know I I, I like to give attribution as much as possible, yeah. but yeah, some of these are like you know the clickbait or whatever, yeah. and you don't really know who who's putting this things putting these things together. And I, I did selected because some of these I I can't even remember the ones that I did that I deselected in my list here. Um, some I don't think would have been classified properly as a car flop, and I wouldn't even say Tucker wasn't really a flop. He just had trouble getting financing and getting his car company off the ground almost like a delorean i mean delorean wasn't really a flop per se the car itself was good how many how many cars are on this list let's let's put the list uh down well the list that i made i have three six so you made like nine okay go ahead let's hear your nine okay well delorean's on here okay etzel and there's reasons why the etzel was a flop i mean okay. other than styling but it was timing. Wait, wait, wait. I want okay. to hear all nine first. Okay. Bricklin, which <laughs> Bricklin, we just talked okay. about. Remember the, remember the uh, Sterling, which was a Honda Acura made by Rover, and they sold them here? It was mm. like the mid-'80s, the Sterling. That's going to come back to me, but no. Okay. The, so, the, the, the last Saab that was ever sold, the, the 9.5, the redesigned 9.5 came out in 2010. Okay. And, again, I wouldn't exactly call that a flop either. Here's one that you'll get a laugh out of. The Cadillac Katera. Okay. Remember the ad campaign, Lisa Katera? <laughs> it was just a, the, the Plymouth Prowler, the Pontiac Aztec, and the Chrysler Crossfire. Those are the, the ones that were on the list. That's interesting. And again, I can take issue with probably at least half this list saying they weren't technically flops. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, um, do you want to go down one at a time? I, I sure. Let's start with the Tucker because you've 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 taped Tuckers for your for your channel. Yeah, I actually taped I tape Tucker's Tucker. Yeah, yeah. So that was cool for the YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou. Yeah, check that out. That was at the Peterson Museum, and they have Mr. Tucker's Tucker. Um, you know, unique because it's. It's it's really cool how he put this helicopter engine in the back end sure. of it. And designed it to, I think it was uh, for easy servicing. You only had to take out like four bolts or something like that, and the whole thing just yeah. drops right down. And Yeah. I mean, I think the engineering ideas behind that car with the with the uh, turnable headlight, the uh, safety construction, kind of like the, the Hornet drop-down frame. Yeah. Just a lot of things he had, and, and a rear-engine, rear-drive car back then, too, was yeah, way the, ahead of its time, the too. The Cyclops eyeball yeah. turning headlight yeah. that you're talking about, yeah. So, I mean, I can see why that would be on the list as a flop, just because they only, you know, they had 50 of them, or 51, I believe it is. Uh, so I, I, I get that. So so that one I can I can agree with. Let's go to... Uh, the Edsel. The Edsel. Thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are just the styling was just hideous. And it was a fairly expensive car at the time. Uh, 58 was coming out of a recession year. Uh, and it was just bad timing for that car from all the information that I remember reading about it. It was actually, from what I understand... Um, I thought the car was considered to be well-made and, yeah. and well-engineered. It was just the wrong car at the wrong time. That's why it didn't I, sell. I'm but that styling with the sucking the lemon or whatever they call it up front, the way the grill looked. Yeah. That that one was killed by the public. Yeah. That car wasn't killed because it was a bad car. That car, it had somehow created bad public perception. Uh, you could use, for example, like Corvair had Nader trying to yeah. beat it up. And it had, somehow it got the bad public perception, and then that was it. Yeah. I mean, once people thought that it, you know, they started making fun of it, and then everybody joined on the bandwagon. Yeah. 
So uh, with the sun- and and Ford lost a ton of money on that car too because yeah. they had a, they had it in design and engineering for quite a while, and I know they toned down the styling. I think it came out in '59, and and for '60 and '61 they kind of toned the st- styling down a little bit. But yeah, just never. And plus the name too. I mean, I know it's named after Henry Ford's uh, grandson, would it be or son Etzel Ford? But um, Etzel, I mean, it just doesn't even sound appealing. You know, <laughs> it doesn't. And the DeLorean, I think. I don't know about that. I think De- DeLorean, we just kind of talked about in the previous segment that it wasn't necessarily a flop. Um, it had some very good ideas, some decent engineering. It was just, I think, another thing kind of like Tucker where he just had trouble financing his company and getting it truly off the ground and established as a legitimate maker. I mean, because the thing that it's one thing to design a car and, and actually produce the car, but then you've got to have a service network. You got to have dealers, you got to have parts, you got to have service people that know how to work on the car. I mean, there's so many other things that enter into the equation to make a car, a car, a success in the marketplace. Well, if we use the word, you know, advertising or public perception might be even better for the Edsel. For DeLorean, I think it was price. Yeah. You know, it was a really expensive car. For an impractical vehicle, two-seater. Exactly. Gullwing doors. Yeah, so yeah. it was much, much more than the Corvette, and that was impractical. And it and didn't have to, the performance. I mean, it had some, I remember he was using, uh, I, I don't know if he was using those metric Michelin tires, but I think, I remember one of the things distinctly, he was claiming that the tires would last 100,000 miles and some of these things, but the performance of that car was never didn't light the world on fire yeah. i mean acceleration top end things like that okay and, and you as you were mentioning him i was just putting down um you know single words that that uh um i'll give you an example i'm gonna if go to the next one prowler yeah you know that one the one word that comes to mind is performance yeah you know a beautiful car yeah i mean a, you know a true roadster but a six-cylinder and practicality though too that car literally had no storage capacity in it at all if you have two people in it It had no trunk all it had was that the the back hatch would lift up for the convertible top and there was literally six inches of space vertically and maybe two feet wide and that's why they actually had that accessory trailer that you could buy and tow because that's why every prowler you see from the factory has an actual tow hitch receiver in it and that's just a that's like a motorcycle trailer is really pretty much what it was when you see a like a honda goldwing towing a trailer just in practicality though too and the v6 killed it yeah because it didn't have that that v8 growl uh but a cool car i mean big massive 22 inch i think rear tires um and then they kind of messed up the front with safety regulations the plastic but people that have the prowlers now buy the the delete kit so they can move that stuff around and so i got a buddy that bought a, a prowler at uh a bear jackson and uh I've, I've, i haven't ridden in it but i've taken a pretty good look at it and he was saying like yeah this car has no carrying capacity it's just it's just yeah. uh it's just a very limited appeal car plus that wasn't cheap either right no well you said it was it like 50 you, grand i you, think you said it earlier the prowler was not a growler yeah so it didn't have that that rumble and yeah that's, that's what killed that one yeah um we touched on the bricklin um i think that was just a. I would look at that as being an anomaly i don't think it was a bad car per se but again it was like produced in such limited uh amounts with a limited uh, amount of financing yeah, behind yeah. it that the quality was never there it was you know hand, probably hand laid or close to hand laid fiberglass it had just one of these real generic looking dashboards with just the, the gauges plugged into there and i i didn't even know what it had as a, i can't try to remember what it had as a power plant was it a ford engine a v8 a ford v8 or a Chevy V8, something like that. I think it was like a 302 or something Yeah, something like that. that. I mean, you see them occasionally, and and actually... It it was just because they were limited. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it... it The design's actually held up. It's another Gullwing car. It had kind of ugly bumpers on it, but again, as I had mentioned earlier, that Malcolm Bricklin was promoting that as a safety vehicle more than a performance vehicle. Um, And I don't know what it went for in price. I mean, that was in the early 70s, and I do remember ads for those. Um one car that you didn't recognize was the Sterling. That was actually uh, based. Uh, Honda has manufacturing facilities in in England, and they were taking. I think it was based on the Acura platform. 
that Rover was actually building these cars, badging them as Sterlings and selling them here mm. and, and in, in Europe. And you see them every now and then. Um, Good-looking car, actually. Like It was a big five-door sedan, four doors plus the hatch, but they just had abysmal uh, quality. Um, they rusted. They, they, the performance, reliability wasn't good. And again, they weren't cheap. And they, they were only sold here, I think, like 88, 89, only like a couple years. And they're very hard to see find anymore. Um, there's one guy in, in one of the clubs that I'm in that has one, and I think he brought his over. I think his was right-hand drive. I don't think it was one of the ones that was sold here. That shows how rare they are. Um, and I can see why that was a flop because it's just like, why would anyone want to buy a Rover? No one even remembers what a Rover is other than a Land Rover, but they don't associate that with the brand name. They just think that's the name of the vehicle. Um, the Caddy, uh, Cadillac Catera, that was the car that came out, I want to say it was the early 90s, I think it was, based on an Opal pretty good looking car but again it was like it, and it seems like cadillac has fallen into this this uh trap that they just always continually try to reinvent themselves or promote themselves as some kind of like performance or or styling alternative and just never seems to get any traction well, and I, that I, was a car that just yeah. didn't go anywhere in the well, market I, I i put the word duped yeah next to it yeah you know the, the public perception is cadillac's a luxury car yeah and you felt duped when you saw that car. You felt like, you know, there's a phrase, uh, it's kind of like this. It says, don't urinate on my shoes and tell me it's raining. Yeah. And that's what you felt like when you saw that car. You thought, don't don't put a Cadillac badge on that and try yeah. to sell it as a... Well, yeah, because it was an Opal rebadged as a Caddy. I mean, it was a, I thought it was a good-looking car. It had style. But again, it didn't. Am I, am I thinking of the Cimarron or something like that? Well, the that? Cimarron was the was the thing that, that came in the eighties. Okay, so that's where I must have been. The Katera, too. you could almost say the Katera though was kind of the the continuation of the Cimarron idea. Okay, you know, a, a, a more mid priced, uh, mid sized caddy. Yeah, ca- more Cadillac, performance oriented, yeah. you know, more athletic. Cadillac should never go mid priced because you don't think of it that way. No, you, you don't. No. You don't say, "Gee, I'm going to get a Lincoln," and you look at your Lincoln and go. But I'd like it to be well, priced right around. The, yeah, you, you know, can't be the right standard the of the world, right? And at you know twenty grand or whatever. Yeah. Um, the Pontiac Aztec. Oh God! <laughs> One word comes to that is styling. Yeah. Or lack lack of, of style. Yeah. Yeah, considered one of the uh, probably ugliest cars that came out in the uh, in the two thousands. And again, the, uh, I don't know how many they sold. You know, it's funny because I almost look at it as kind of being the redheaded stepchild. I actually don't mind them that much now than I did when they first came out. I just thought they were butt ugly. But well, there, there's a couple of cars that fit in that. The uh, Juke fits. Oh in yeah, that. the Juke's an oddball. Yeah, the, the Aztec, which they don't make anymore. They just discontinued that. I think this year, last year. But th- thankfully, and then the the Honda had the Element. Yeah, the Element. The Element was funky, and then also the the, the, the Cube. The Scion. Yeah, the the Scion. Uh, not the Scion, but yeah, the the Nissan Cube. Yeah, and then the Scion had that little um, van thing. By the way, mention the email so that when people say Lou is a complete idiot, that's an awesome car. So you might might want to car guys report at hotmail dot com. Yeah, you can let Lou know exactly how much you love the Element, the Juke, the Aztec, and the Q. Because I actually have a a friend of mine, and will um, uh, that uh, has owned an Element, and he owns a juke so he's got I two will, of lose yeah. least favorite vehicles i, I on will there. say the element has unbelievable room in it oh yeah I it's will, just a giant square yeah it's thing a refrigerator yeah it is it's a refrigerator yeah. headlights yeah. yeah and then the two other cars on the list the chrysler crossfire now that car was produced when uh daimler uh mercedes-benz otherwise known as daimler uh, owned chrysler and um it was basically based on the Mercedes-Benz SLK, which was their small two-seat uh, roadster. And they made a Crossfire in both a hardtop and a convertible. And the one to really get, if you're ever looking for a Crossfire, is the SRT version, which was basically the AMG version of the SLK. And they're out there, and they're not super low price, but they're probably less than the, the uh, companion uh, AMG version of the SLK. I never had a problem with the Crossfire. I thought it was kind of a unique car. Again, it's small. It doesn't have a lot of carrying capacity. 
But well, there are two when you look two. at what's underneath there, there's a lot of car there. There's a lot of car there. They they put a Mercedes engine in it, but the still it was like a V6. It was, yeah. So it was a performance issue again, and it was too expensive. Yeah. So, you know, with the Prowler not being a growler and the Crossfire also not being a growler, I think that's the two things that 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 uh, and again and the styling was a little admittedly a little oddball i mean it really had that it almost reminded me of a streamlined modern uh art deco kind of collaboration uh, yeah from I, like the I, late I, 30s early 40s with that like humpback you know kind of like a, yeah. a, a buick sedanette or uh but it was done well yeah, it was done uh, well I, yeah no it's i i wouldn't really call that a flop so no. to speak i think that's a bargain and then uh the saab 95 now <laughs> that's the car i joke about I was right in the throes of, of Saab's final breaths in 2010. The redesigned version of the Saab 95, uh, that's when GM fully owned Saab. And I always joke uh, among my car buddies that, yeah, they made, a, they made that car for about 10 minutes because literally I think I've seen a total of like three of them on the road in, in 10 years. They did not sell hardly any of those cars in the U.S. Well, why was that? It's just because it came out at the wrong time, and it was hideously expensive for what it was. It was like a $60,000 car, and it was the most expensive Saab that they ever made. And it, was just a, it, was, it wasn't a bad-looking car. It was just a big four-door sedan. But again, it had kind of a—it had a, actually a pretty anemic V6 in there, even though it was a turbo. You know, it was not a Saab four-cylinder turbo that, that people really like. It was just the wrong car at the wrong time because the company was going out of business. People were getting the—, the the uh, waves of, you know, Saab's going out of business. Am I going to be able to get warranty and parts and stuff for this car? And they're pretty cheap if you can find one now. Um, but I, I, I don't know if we, I thought it was darn close to 60,000 when it came out um, fully loaded. And they just didn't, uh, they just didn't sell because it was, again, it was not necessarily a bad car. I think it was just timing with what was going on with Saab at the time and, and things like that. But, um, definitely, you know, uh, interesting list, and we uh, definitely had some uh, interesting perspectives on some of uh, what people are calling selected car flops. And as Lou mentioned, you can also uh, tell your friends about what you're hearing at the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. You can uh, check us out online at radiomisfits.com. Follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter, and also email us, carguysreport at hotmail. We'll be right back. I am Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. And on Back to You, our podcast, we do all kinds of things like, how would you describe it? We do nitpicky things sometimes, like how come you got headphones on and I don't? Because I'm the star of the show. Well, see, that's up for uh, debate and deliberation. And uh, a lot of the show is about who gets top billing and last word. Well, we'll find out in the next Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. See ya. Bye. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. An Opie show, only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved a better place. Radiomisfits.com. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Pigeons pooping on politicians. Science about sperm extraction. Just one bad century, we honor the people we've lost. My brush with Walter Payton. And our celebrity interview with the Mind the Gap lady, Emma Clark. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. The Tony Lasano Podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast network radio misfits.com and we're back bring a trailer once again lou brings us another interesting car that was sold and i think you'll get a charge out of this one i think uh, being car guys we we both will agree that the original datsun 240z just a, a you know a stone cold classic sports car uh one of japan's basically uh Major entries into the affordable sports car arena, six-cylinder inline, uh, dual carbs, uh, great styling. The styling has held up well. Back in the mid-'90s, uh, Nissan was doing a, a program of factory-slash-vintage restoration on uh, select 240s. They made about 37 of these cars, and uh, one that recently sold on Bring a Trailer was a 72 vintage restoration program uh 240z it was uh they called it lime it really almost looked like a combination between lime and bright yellow 
But this thing went for a very, very good price. 97,000 miles, too, shown on the car, but basically factory restored. Sold for uh, just over 101,000. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just a gorgeous car. I mean, it's it's in tip-top, perfect condition, but... You know, ninety-seven k on the clock. It sold for over a hundred thousand. I, I would say that's well sold, and I think probably though I it do, might I be do, well bought down I do the line. See it's a California car. Yeah, I see California plates on yeah. it, so that's why the body is spotless. Yeah, but it was factory restored though with their yeah. program, and they were. I know that when that program came out, I think they were uh, reproducing some of the parts that they didn't. Well, well let, let me ask you. Didn't the, have any more. Do, do you in know stock. what the price of one of the continuation cars sold for? I wouldn't call them continuation. I don't know exactly how that vintage uh, restoration program worked. Yeah. I don't know, because I remember, I, I kind of remember something about them doing kind of like a continuation thing. Okay. But then this would imply that this was like a select vehicle that they you could either bring them or they would have, and they would choose to restore it and then sell it. So I'm not exactly sure how that, that panned out. Yeah. Um, but it was worth 100 100 grand to somebody and it's an interesting um thing to watch because you see a lot of 240s come up on on bring a trailer and a 240 is one of those cars that you have to kind of be careful uh when you're looking at them because they can be pretty crappy sometimes you know a lot of rust a lot of uh issues um things like that uh repaints uh, unoriginal colors redone interiors and to really find one that's as correct and as original as possible is pretty hard to do and they've held their values pretty well and obviously the 240 is the one to really get they made the 260 for i think a year and then it went to the 280 then they had the two plus twos in in some of those variations too which had the slightly longer wheelbase for a back seat and basically the 240 is the one that's going to be the pick to click in any um you know 240 uh, or any yeah any 240 nissan uh or Datsun. um oh the early collector. 280s are pretty cool no they're cool no they're cool. and i even like the 300 uh, zx you yeah. know in the in the 90s i thought that was a great looking car um we did get an email lou and i wanted to mention this because we just finished our our um our bring a trailer segment. It's not always. How do you send trailer. us? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. You send it by by emailing us at carguysreport at hotmail dot com. And uh, Paul sent us an email. He uh, enjoys the show and he's a regular listener. So thank you very much for that, Paul. But he did have a slight nit to pick. He said that sometimes on your um, for sale sold section, you're always talking about the exotics, stuff like Ferraris and things like that. And he wants to see some of the lower end cars that might uh, be for sale or have sold on a site like uh, Bring a Trailer. So, Paul, we hear what you're saying, and I'm definitely working on that. I mean, I still want to talk about the... What I try to do is just talk about interesting, unique things. Well, and Maybe you should do the Bring a Trailer with, like, you'll reverse with, with it instead it. of Lou trying to <laughs> dupe you <laughs> see, with See the which views. car went for the least amount of yeah, money. Lou, here's, I'm giving you three cars, <laughs> and then we'll talk about what their prices are. Can you guess what the prices are? Um, but, uh, no, it's under understand uh, understandable paul and we know that you know not all of us have uh you know a lot of us have champagne tastes and beer budgets and we don't always uh are able to afford the expensive cars but uh it's, it's, it's always fun to just talk about stuff that we've seen you know going for sale whether it is something that is more affordable or something that is more expensive if you like the car guys report like paul did on uh on our email, carguysreport at hotmail.com. Be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits podcast network. You can check out Back to You. That's an OPI show. Legendary Chicago TV personalities Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville talk about life, travel, food, and the long list of what bugs them. Plus, you never know when one of their many famous friends might stop by. It's an OPI show. It's available only on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. You are listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And, Lou, um, I had mentioned uh, earlier in the program or in previous programs that um, I had uh, recently sold my Bentley Continental R uh, earlier this year. It was a 1994. I owned the car for about three years. 
And I wanted to just kind of get a feel for for Bentleys and and see what they were all about because, as you know, British cars depreciate dramatically in value. Uh, When that car came out, it's a car that you had actually taped several years ago, and we were talking about it at the time. It was the most expensive production vehicle available when it first came out in 1991, selling for $275,000, which equates to about $450,000 nowadays. And you can pick these up... um, pretty much any day of the week um, for low to mid 30s up to maybe 60 70,000 depending on um, condition color mileage things like that but the Continental R basically what what made that car special was it was the first um, Bentley that did not uh, share a body with a Rolls-Royce since 1965 so when it came out in 1990 it was very distinctive looking just a huge two-door coupe um, not a hard top, just a two-door uh, coupe. Um, and it uh, had a turbocharged uh, 6.75-liter V8, so the classic Bentley turbo engine, about 360 horsepower, 500 pound-feet of torque, fed through a 4L80E GM automatic four-speed. They only made about 100 a year, and that's what appealed to me. I just like stuff that's sometimes like really low production. And they only made 100 of these cars a year for about 12 years, so 1,200 total production. That's total worldwide production. And surprisingly, you can go to Hemmings and find usually one or two for sale at any given time. That's usually a good place to start. They made a lot of different variations of the car. They made a couple with T-tops. They made uh, different um, uh, packages. They made one that that looked like someone who went to J.C. Whitney and bought a bunch of tacked-on fender flares and stuff. It just really looks tacky. Um, but they boosted the horsepower on that model. And there's, there's, there's the Continental R, then there's like the T. But it's still all based on this basic car, this, this R body style. And recently, Automobile Magazine did one of these uh, things, like it's an up-and-coming classic. And uh, since I owned one and I have enough experience with it, I read the article and, and agreed and chose to disagree with some of the things they said. I mean, most of what they said was pretty accurate, except I will take it uh, uh offense to one thing they're saying here. Steering is measured and well uh, is well measured and smooth. Yeah, okay. Um, but they say the buttery suspension can't hide from the bulk. I wouldn't exactly call the suspension on at least my Continental R buttery at all. Um, this had self-leveling leveling rear suspension, so it had these um, hydraulic spheres that start when you start the car up, it would flash for about 30 seconds while the spheres are are filling up and, and raising the rear of the car. And then when the spheres are up to pressure, then the light starts stops flashing. Those are fine on my car because that's one known issue that those do leak after a while. I had the complete front end of my car rebuilt. I had brand new rebuilt shock absorbers put on, uh, a new steering rack, all the bushings and, and associated items with that because it did have issues when I bought it. But once all that stuff was replaced $7,000 later, I would not categorize the suspension as being buttery at all uh and i always just basically would tell people like at a car show when i would have that car was it stiff what was it it? was just not it it wasn't stiff necessarily it just wasn't that smooth i would i would still say that on on a lot of surfaces it would just kind of tend to crash over stuff more than just absorb it and that was even after I had, you know, all the work done. I just felt that it just, you know, because people at car shows would come up to me and they'd go like, boy, I bet that thing rides like a dream. And I'm like, well, not really. It's based on 1970s Rolls-Royce technology. It's not, you know, there's no air suspension in this. Even it's got the, the rear spheres that are kind of, you know, hydro pneumatic. But I just never felt that it, you know, people think that this car should just glide over bumps. And, you know, a 58 Impala has a better ride than, than this car did. Yeah. And that's in my opinion. You know, you might take take exception. But I just, that that's pretty much what I think disappointed me the most about that car. And just the fact that for a, a car that was hand-built and uh, $275,000 new, it had just some things that the rear windows were fixed. They didn't even pop out. They didn't roll down. They were fixed. Yeah. $275,000 for a car with fixed rear windows, and yeah. it's a two-door coupe? 
Well, we, that was inexcusable to me. Yeah, we are clear <laughs> that you are not buying another Continental no, R. No, 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 I'm not going to buy another Continental R because I, you know, the, the be- you are not a fan. But the thing that that attracted me to this though too is is and what they even say in here. I think they say this is the price point. Well, the price point. They say yeah, regular, you know, range from thirty five to seventy, which is which is totally accurate. You can buy yourself a new Ford Explorer. Or get a Bentley Continental R. You can. And sure, I mean, the appeal is the fact that only 100 were made a year. So right. you're not going to see another right. one, chances right. are, driving down the road when you're in yours. But it was still a true Bentley, though. You know, when Volkswagen bought Bentley, the cars are now, granted, they're much better cars than they were, but they're designed and engineered in Germany. They're still built in England, but they're and, not. And they're buttery. And they're probably buttery. <laughs> exactly. And but You had no butter but on your th- popcorn. This is, this is just, you know, it's a classic Bentley. It was designed and, and built and everything in England. And I think that's one of the, and it is a beautiful looking car too. I mean, I'll give it that. Um, and all the interiors, I swear they only made one interior color because even in this article, the interior is the same color as mine. It was called... Um, butter was, cream it was called a uh, pheasant i think or something like that it's <laughs> it kind of like, like a butter cream yeah kind of a light <laughs> a light beige but it's got all the wood it's got the metal i mean that's a i do remember one story did anybody think you were a snob when you drove no because it? i was like okay making fun of the car i, would, right. I, I didn't think i was yeah. you know some hot hot guy out there with this bentley it had no sunroof it had um just a very archaic cruise control. I mean, it didn't really have any of the super high-end stuff that you would even think a car in 1994 should have. But um, one of my, probably my favorite story when I had that car is shortly after I bought it, we were, I was at a car show with my girlfriend, and it was one of these days where it was raining for like the first hour of the car show, so everyone's kind of hunkered down in their cars, and she had brought the paper to read. It was a Sunday. And we're sitting in the, in the Bentley, you know, leather seats. It's got the burled walnut. It's all, the, all the stuff is metal in that car. There's hardly any plastic, all the switch gear, and the wool carpets and stuff, and the wood trim on the doors. And, and she's just reading the paper, and I'm like, boy, it kind of feels like we're in an English drawing room or something here, like the <laughs> living room, you know? It's just, it was pretty cool from that standpoint because it did not feel like we were just wasting the, time the in, our, in a car. The work well? Uh, pretty good. Okay, yeah, pretty right. good. Not okay. not as good as it could have, but okay. but okay. But, I mean, performance-wise, I never really hammered that car, but the thing weighed 5,400 pounds, and it would do 0 to 60 in about 6.6 seconds, which is pretty that's, amazing yeah, for a car you know 20 27 years ago or yeah. 26 years ago whatever and it had and it just i remember i was doing my due diligence before i made the purchase and i i contacted one of the places that did some work on the, on the car that i was considering buying which is the one i ultimately ended up buying and and the guy was saying like it's kind of like driving a what did he say uh a, a battleship i think he said it just kind of like kind of whooshes along it's the thing is like so big and heavy and it just kind of gathers speed and then you're just like hauling butt down the road you know and that's kind of the way it was so i wouldn't uh discourage anyone from buying one because you can get them for a good price but just be be prepared that pretty much everything on this car is proprietary well now mark you're not the only one who's driven a bentley well you've driven a bentley i'm sure which bentley have you driven the gt uh i drove uh i couldn't tell you which one it was it was probably like 2004 it was so it'd be a new one yeah the the gt the, the, the cabriolet okay the convertible and uh uh, what is it, a V12 in that? It could have. Uh, it would be a it W12. A, okay, so yeah. the W12, and, uh, you know, because I'm not going to be standing on it all the time, but I was requested by the owner sitting in so the passenger seat. To put your seat. foot in yeah, it. Yeah, put my yeah. foot in it. And I was amazed that, it goes back to your whoosh feeling, yeah. that I didn't hear a lot. No. But I definitely felt You gather felt speed it. quickly, yeah. yeah. You, you, you caught up to everybody very quickly. Yeah. yeah I was impressed. That, I remember James May on... I would uh, even put it semi-buttery. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to let me live that one down, right? <laughs> I remember James May on Top Gear was, was talking about V12s once, and he said, you know, the sensation of the V12 is it just doesn't th- necessarily throw you back into your seat, but it just kind of gathers speed. And, 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 yeah. that's, and that's the sensation I felt when I bought my my Jaguar XJ12, because that was the V12 sedan. And sure, that was like a really archaic engine. That wasn't turbocharged, it was only like 313 horsepower. But even though it was still a V12, though, and he's kind of right. I mean, it kind of just gathers speed up, 
And before you know it, you're just cruising along and you're surrounded by all this leather and wood and yeah. stuff like that. So it is a it is a different experience, I think, is really the, 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 the thing to say. And definitely one thing that you would not want to do with your Bentley is uh, get into the car interior when you've got sunscreen on. Because, Lou, I hope um, when you go to a car show, if you're out in the sun all day um, videotaping cars, that you are appropriately protecting your skin with sunscreen um actually that's what i do when i get to a car show i put some on my forearms and my back and my neck and if i'm wearing shorts on my legs that are exposed because when you're sitting at a car show for four or five hours in the blazing sun or if you don't have a pop-up tent you know you can definitely get some pick up some uv and i have noticed that one of the downsides of that is when you drive home You've got that white residue on your armrest and your center console right, and your door right. panels and yeah. stuff. And I've even gotten to the point where uh, lately, before I get in the car, when I leave a car show, I have a, a microfiber that I carry with me. And I'll try to wipe off any excess that's still on my arms we, to try to minimize the it. excess wax. Yeah. And buff it off. But it's interesting <laughs> because they have said that sunscreen is actually not good for your uh, car interiors and i started thinking that you know i've out of the nine cars i own i've only got two that don't have leather interiors because you're not going to see that the sunscreen residue show up that much on like a cloth interior it might kind of dull it out a little bit but on the leather it shows up and it's not good for it it's got a bunch of chemicals in it and stuff it says ford uk which would be ford's uh, english division they actually have developed a video that discusses chemical wear on interior materials and they're saying that some of the the worst things for it are hand sanitizers which we all use because they have alcohol in them 70 percent oh, at least okay and they say that just wreaks havoc on on it a high spf sunscreens i use a 45 sunscreen which is kind of middle of the road these days i know it goes up to 75 and even 100 these days but they're trying to develop a uh, coating that they can put on interiors that will withstand exposure to these things. I know um, that people have talked about using some of the ceramic coatings they have for your car paint on your interior. I don't know how that would work, but I don't know if it's kind of thinking along those lines or not. But they said that, um, you know, people just don't really think about it when they get in the cars. The best thing they say here is to wait to apply hand sanitizers or SPF sunscreen when you won't be near the vehicle for a while because um, they can just, you know, let them absorb into your skin, I guess, is what they're saying. But I have noticed that. And and what I usually do to clean them up is at the end of the season, when I know I'm not going to be using sunscreen for a while, I just use a... Uh, there's a brand called Lexol. It's yeah. a leather cleaner and then the preservative. And that stuff seems to work pretty good. Just gently work it into the, the spots where they where you'll see the white. And you might have to do it two or three times. And that'll pretty much get most of it out. And it's going to start nourishing the, the leather um, again. And you should be okay. But it's just something, just another thing we got to think about these days. Because it's something, yeah. you know, interiors aren't cheap. And, and the leather, you know, we, we, we drive cars with leather interiors for a reason. So... Um, you know, I'm, I'm smiling the whole time when you're talking because I'm thinking of my one really bad experience with an interior was back in the 70s when we had a, a Pinto wagon. For, I, it was a four-speed. So, I mean, I was really, you know, hip. <laughs> you were styling. And, uh, somehow there were some girls we were trying to chase in the car, and uh, I had an advantage because I had my dog with me. So we put the back seat down so the dog would have more than enough room. And I remember trying to catch them around corners. We were playing this kind of cat-and-mouse game with these girls, and, uh, you know, when it's a hot summer day and you put a dog in the car and the dog heaves, yeah. that's bad yeah. for the interior, <laughs> too. So, so I don't recommend driving a Pinto wagon four-speed with no air and bringing your dog with. Although the dog was wagging his tail yeah. the whole time. Yeah. He thought that whole cat and mouse thing was fantastic. <laughs> and we didn't realize that until later in the drive that uh, the dog decided to... Uh, leave us with something in the interior <laughs> but fortunately i had parents who found that there you go that's um, the way it goes yeah they don't hit kids like they used to i'll tell you that right now <laughs> if you uh, like what you're listening to here on the car guys report informed automotive be sure to uh not only listen to us but to subscribe and rate the program as well you can catch us on apple 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. Just search for Radio Misfits. And when you subscribe to uh, the Car Guys Report on any one of these channels, uh, you'll get an automatic notification on your device when there's new content. So you'll always be up to date on everything. And if you could... uh, Take a few moments to rate our podcast. We certainly enjoy that as well. We've got some uh, positive uh, feedback and ratings uh, so far, and we would appreciate uh, you taking a couple moments to rate our show as well. And the best thing to remember about uh, all the uh, podcasts, courtesy of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, is all these programs are free. You can listen to them on any device you have, whether it's in the car, on your phone, your laptop, your tablet, your desktop, and you have total freedom. You can uh, stop, start, restart, re-listen, skip, whatever you want. It's all there on your device with podcasting. That's what we're all about here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable, and uh, we're at the portion of the program, Lou, where you get to uh, tell us about what's coming up on the uh, a YouTube channel that you run called My Car Story with Lou, and I know you're going to tease my brain here to see if I can figure out which car videos are getting the most views. Now, remember, this is only on My Car Story with Lou's website. On another website, uh, there might be something else. But here's the three cars <laughs> for today in no specific order, but we're going to rank them by views. So we've got, and I'm going three different time periods. Okay. Okay. So we're going 1966 Ford 7-liter two-door. Oh, that, I know that car. Okay. I love that car. The second one we've yeah. got for you is a 1951 Hudson Hornet. Okay. Okay. And the last one is a 1970 Plymouth Cuda 426 Hemi, white with billboards. The 7-liter uh, Ford. The 7-liter Ford was not number one. Really? Number one was 36,000 views. Of the Hudson Hornet. Okay, okay. So that was the A. Now, between your 7-liter and the Plymouth... I'd still go with the 7-liter. You are right. Okay. 25,000 views That's a cool car, liter. though. I, I don't know if it's the same one I've, I've seen at some of the shows. Is but it black? Black, yeah. Okay. Well, a little tip for the it's, black one. The black one is coming to the channel. The black one's okay. on the channel, yeah. but it was early on the channel, okay. My Car Story with Lou, uh, on YouTube, 7-liter. Uh, and then I recently did this Midnight Blue one. Okay. And then when I, I, when I did the Midnight Blue one, I called the guy who had the black one, and I said, you know, it was a long time ago since we did your car. We should probably do your car again. If and I recall correctly, too, the black one has just an amazing paint job on it. Yeah, the black one's been resprayed. Yeah, but it's, per, it's, it's, it's mirror. Yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So that's coming up. On, and I actually did, this will be something for you, the first time I did the underside of the car oh, cool. was the black one. Okay. So we're going to do the underside of that car. And then he said, Lou, a friend of mine has a Galaxy 500 7 liter convertible. Would you like to have him come by? Cool. No, no, no. Yeah. I hate to have him come by. I said, of course, have him come by. So he came by, and then we had another friend. So you had the trifecta? By. I had the trifecta, and the other friend said, Lou, do you like resto mods? I said, well, show me the resto mod, and I'll tell you if I like it. I said, oh, yeah, I like that. And that one is actually a pickup. Okay. So when a pickup makes the My Car story It's got to be pretty special. It's, yeah, you'll... We we uh, let's just put it this way. My son is uh, 14 and he does a lot of editing, so I have a professional, and uh, and he charges me by the way, just like a professional, and he charges his dad <laughs> to edit his videos. But uh, I told my son, I said, son, you're almost getting to the age of getting your driver's license, so do not drive anything like you see on my videos. <laughs> <laughs> This is not for the new driver. I think I think one reason I like that 7 liter is the fact that I like that they use the uh, metric uh, designation of, of liter instead of cubic inches. It just seems so out of place on a, on a late 60s, you know, mid-60s, late-60s vehicle that was built in, in America. And I just, that's just one of my quirky things. I what, think it's so cool was, seeing the 7 liter badge what, on what there. What was the other car that had the word liter on it from the States? Well, we were just we were talking about the the Firebirds yep, the uh, in the last episode, right, right, yeah. Right, the, right. the leaders there, and yeah. then there's a few others I think that may have. How, how about let me let me let me squeak through. Let me but, scratch your brain for a second. Remember the GTOs? Yeah, and their little badge would say six point five liter. In did the it say? Tag. Okay, yeah. I, I don't I don't honestly don't remember seeing those. Yeah. So I have to well, pay attention yeah, to that. But I mean, on, on the Ford though, they're big. Oh yeah, you, you can't oh, miss yeah, them. They're was, right on the fender there, yeah. and they're just seven liter. It's just it just looks cool. Yeah, and very cool cars. Cool. Well, um, 
Coming up on the uh, next episode of the Car Guys Report, we're going to have something that I've been looking forward to uh, talking about, and Lou uh, knows what that is, but we're not going to leak the uh, the news just yet. But something from Volkswagen, Volkswagen, that you won't believe, but it's true, and also a shooting brake for sale. What the heck is a shooting brake? Well, you'll find out what a shooting brake is here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. That's next time. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Luke Costable. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in to this episode of the Car Guys Report. Certainly appreciate you taking the time to listen to what we have to say here. And we'd like to say special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi, if you're wondering, is hippo spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of Opi Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including OPIShows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opi Productions. Tony, can you shut up? All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to? Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And that's on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Free Kicks, a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Hey, we're back with Season 2 of And Friends. I'm Sam. I'm Tommy. And I'm Kimmy. We're going to be handing out $10,000 live on the show. So listen there on... And Friends, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk, radio isn't dead. It only moved to a better place. Offers listed on this promo are not viable. If you were not to, if you were not to win. Radiomisfits.com. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's time to talk about German sausage. Mmm... Plus a super cool Aston Martin for sale. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>